parents, if you have some children, like to send the kids point. You can do that now. If they stay in here, that's good too. Faith's real good. Um, we've taken a time on Sunday mornings to pray for leadership in in our community. And last week we took that opportunity to pray for Ben and his family, them being away. And uh, this morning we prayed for Brad and Christy Cardwell. And in this service, I'd like to pray for Ron and Patty Perone. Um, Ron is one of our elders, and he and Patty have just moved to Commerce and are part of the church plant there. And uh, I want to pray for them as as leaders. Um, Ron is an elder, and uh, but also they are on their way to Kazakhstan here shortly. And uh, if you know me and about my family, then you know that's a pretty dear thing to me because I've got some kiddos living there. And uh, so I want to take this time to pray for them, and I, I want them to come up. Um, I was expressing to someone earlier, um, uh, these, these mission trips, these trips to Kazakhstan are, um, now come on, are uh, not just these folks going, it's us sending, and uh, I just pray that God makes us a sending church uh, and, and all that that is. Uh, is Brad in here? Don't have Brad. Yeah, why don't you come on up to him? But that God would just give us a glimpse of what that is and what he has in store for this fellowship uh, as we go to Kazakhstan in obedience. And he's definitely doing a work there. He's drawn us uh, to him in that. In fact, well, Scott, you don't have Tiffany with you, do you? going to have Scott and Tiffany come up. We'll pray for you later. But uh, uh, let's take this time. Uh, to pray for them, uh, and, and pray that God would do a work in you in this as well. Father, this morning, um, we thank you for your grace, uh, a grace that does a work in us, uh, a work uh, of obedience, uh, a work of sanctification, Father. You uh, show to us who you are and, and who we are, and uh, Father, you draw us to you. You grow us up in Christ. Um, that we can know you and, and, and walk in obedience to you. Father, I thank you for Ron and Patty, uh, for their leadership in this fellowship. Um, Father, I pray that uh, the weightiness and the accountability that comes with that, uh, Father, that uh, you, um, Father, would sustain them, uh, guard them, uh, and, Father, give them joy uh, in the obedience of, of doing your work. Um, and, Father, as they travel uh, to Kazakhstan, uh, I pray that, uh, um, Father, you, I, I know you are uh, preparing things before them, uh, but, Father, I pray that as they go, you would be glorified. Um, and the people in Kazakhstan, uh, Father, I pray for a work, uh, Stephanie and Jake. And, uh, Father, I pray that Ron can uh, just counsel with Jake, and supply needed leadership there. Father, I pray uh, that all uh, you desire to accomplish in Ron and Patty and through them, uh, Father, would just happen, uh, that you would be glorified in all of it. Uh, Father, I thank you for this uh, body of believers. And, Father, as a fellowship, I pray that uh, we uh, stand ready and prepared uh, to send Ron and Patty, and I pray for them to be faithful in that work. Uh, Father, we give this time to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
spent a lot of time kind of traversing the, the Word last week, and I hope you were keeping up. I hope you were uh, in all those places. I wanted to go back and just recap a little bit. Um, our text is still Romans 10. We'll be heading there. Um, but in relation to the righteousness of God, uh, we saw and read um, about a couple of things, the promise and the law, and then this coming faith we're going to look at today. Um, the promise we read really is, is revelation of the, of the righteousness of God. It's given by God. It was by way of a promise. We read that in Genesis where God told Abraham he would be the father of a multitude of nations. And it was given to him and his offspring, who we read was Christ. And in Galatians we saw, if you are Christ, then you are, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to a promise. And we saw in Philippians that through faith in Christ Jesus, we have the righteousness of God and that the righteousness of God depends on faith. And we read about the law. It reveals the righteousness of man. That through the law comes the knowledge of sin. By works of the law, no one will be justified. And that the law is only a shadow of good things to come. We saw that works of the law can't justify As for the righteousness of God, what is it? It is Christ, and it's through faith in Christ. And we read, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Know then that those of faith who are the... It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And we read, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And we read that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let's pray. Father, this morning I pray that um, the truth of your word would be heard. Um, Father, that our trust and our faith in you would grow. Father, that we would be exposed by your word for who we are. Uh, and Father, you will be exposed for who you are. So Father, I pray for hearers. I pray for vessels of mercy and grace. I pray for a work in us that brings honor and glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Romans chapter 10, verses 1, we read, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. How did they not submit? 
Verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That's where we're picking up this morning. Christ is the end of the law. Does that mean the law is done? What does this word end mean? Sometimes end, you know, it's kind of like, it's done. It's the end of this thing. It's finished. But we read that Christ came to fulfill the law. This end, this word here, the Greek word is telos. It's from a root telo, which means to set out for a definite purpose or goal. The aim. So this end is kind of like you've reached the goal. You've reached the purpose. You've reached the aim of this thing. So this law has what? It's pointed to and led us to Christ. So Christ is the end. Christ is the goal of the law. For righteousness to everyone who believes. Verse 5, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will, ascend in, who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. What is Paul talking about there? What does that mean? I don't know how many times I read that and was kind of puzzled by it. But if we take a look at what Paul is referring back to, we need to go to Deuteronomy chapter 30 to do that. But if we look back at what Paul is saying, we see a sovereign work of God. In Deuteronomy 30, Moses has just kind of delivered to the to the Israelites the blessings and the curses that come along with the law. Basically, if you obey the law, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. So he's been talking about their response. But then in verse 6, Moses says, The Lord your God, speaking to the people of God, will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands that I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands. And in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in, our, in your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law, and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now what I, com- what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven. So that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea. So that you have to ask who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word 
is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. So this is different. Something's different about this circumcision. It's of the heart. And you see, God says, I will circumcise your heart. In Romans 2, 28-29, in regard to this circumcision of the heart, it says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So you see this is a work of God, this circumcision of the heart. It's not physical. It's spiritual. And it's, it's by the Spirit. God said, I will circumcise your hearts. In Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The circumcision of the heart, the work of the Spirit, God's Spirit. So when Paul says, this is the word of faith that we proclaim, what is he talking about? We read over and over last week about this righteousness of God that is what? It is Christ. And we have it through faith in Christ. So what is this faith? And where is it found? It's not just an outward expression. Although there is one. We don't go looking for it as if it's something to obtain. Do we need to go to heaven? Do we need to descend? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. It's not physical, but by the Spirit. And belief is a matter of the heart. Why is that important? Why are we going to, we're going to talk about faith today. And it's a really hard subject to teach and talk about. Because it's been taught wrong so much. Faith has been taught so much as an act or something we do to bring about what we want. If you have enough faith, you can do this. You can make this happen. God has to do this. In response to your faith. Faith is our work. But as we read verses 9 and 10. Coming from this righteousness of man. The law that can't justify anyone. We need to understand what this faith is. Verse 9 says. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. We like that word saved. 
When we hear it, we pay attention. I want that kind of faith that saves. So what is it? What is this faith? It's described here as belief in your heart and a confession of who Christ is and that, and that, and that God raised Him from the dead. Is it confession alone? No, it's coupled with this belief, this belief in your heart. And what is your heart? What is the heart we're referring to here? In the original language, that word is cardia. Cardiac sounds like heart, doesn't it? And it does speak to this organ, okay, that we know, this physical organ in our body. It's kind of the physical life giver there, pumping our blood. <clears throat> but this has a meaning to both physical and spiritual. It's seen as the center of who we are. In fact, you could say it is kind of who we are. Our heart is who we are. It speaks of our will, of our character, and our understanding. So what is this faith? We've talked about last week, we've talked about, you know, what does this faith look like? A lot of people ask, what does faith look like? You can buy a thousand books trying to tell you what faith looks like. And you can read them all. Faith, a heart belief may look like some of those things. But I don't want to know what it looks like. I want to know what it is. When God had me in this text, that's what I, what it is. I want to say what it is. If I'm going to preach this word, I want to say what it is. What does the word say it is? Let's go to James chapter 2. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and, fed, and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not 
by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So is faith works? Is belief, faith, these things we do, works that will save us? Matthew 5, verse 13. says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works... And give glory to your Father who's in heaven. How do we do that? How can works not save us, but we've got to work. And somehow God's got to be glorified in that. What is that? When Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Is that hard to follow? Is that hard to understand? I hope it is a little bit for you because it was for me. Not in an understanding for myself, but trying to speak it or say it to you. Try to teach it. Hang with me. Word of God is good for explaining itself. Listen in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Ben's had us there a couple of times recently. First Thessalonians 2. We give thanks to God always. For all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Ah. Gives us a little glimpse. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with Him and seated And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. And kindness towards us, where? In Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Get this, next verse 10. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Flip side of that, Titus 1, 15. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. So you see this distinction from this confess, profess, this claim to know God and to be in Christ. I think if you look back at James when he says it's not faith alone, he's talking about this, this, profet, this professed trust in God, this professed, professed faith in God. We look at Titus 2 for the qualifications for an elder. Don't read that and say, well, I'm not an elder. I don't need that. Titus 2.7 says, Shows yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. I like the way that sounded, adorn. So, man, I went searching and looking for that word. What is that word in the original language? Cosmeo. What does that mean? Yeah, it has that meaning of adorn that we think of. You know, we... We adorn the Christmas tree with ornaments. This idea of, wow, we make this pretty. And we adore it. We may even give it honor. And it has this connotation. And it has this this meaning that we're making this ready. I get this picture of people seeing our faith before they hear it. Our works have so adorned, so made ready the presentation of this doctrine that they're ready. It's a testimony. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing, this is verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Huh. Salvation. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. What does that look like? What does a self-controlled, upright, and godly life look like? I have an idea. I probably have an opinion. But it's just what it looks like. What is it? We're always looking for this example, this thing. Listen, verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Ah, maybe it's being in the possession of God, zealous for good works. So what is it? Not what does it look like, what is it? What is this faith? Romans 6, 11 says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for what? Righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Hang on to that word obedience there. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord ah so there's fruit there's something that bears witness to the truth of who we are a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness You don't have to turn there, but 2 Corinthians 7 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So what is this believing in your heart and confessing faith? Can we be sure of our salvation? 
Because once you start talking about salvation, usually that's where the conversation goes. I want to know that I am in Christ. I want to know that I have eternal life. And I want to be sure. And we have phrases like, once saved, always saved. And all of these things, we kind of rest our hat on a little bit. Or we may look at our life and see these things we do. Very much like the law. We may rest our hat there. There's no assurance in that. So what do we know? What have we read about salvation? What have we read about the righteousness of God? Where do we see it coming from? Where did God first reveal that in His Word? To Abraham. It was a promise. The law came 430 years later. What did it reveal? It revealed to us who we are. About sin and death and condemnation. Now what is this faith? It's a work of God. It is absolutely a work of grace. It's a gift of God. How, do we, how are we sure that we have it? I can't answer you. Man, I wanted to. I wanted to go through here, even for myself, this absolute assurance and tell you what it is. I can tell you what I think. I told Scott, man, I'm, I walked through this word and I'm looking at this call that we have and this walk we're supposed to be walking the way we're supposed to be living the way we're supposed to look and act and who we are and I was looking for this thing to kind of let me off the hook from holiness man I couldn't find it because I'm not supposed to it's not me This belief in your heart and this confession of Christ is genuine faith. And genuine faith only comes from God in Christ. But that's not a license for us to say, I can live however I want to live. I can look just like the world And say, I have Christ. How can you have assurance in that? Because you can confess. You can profess to know God. And your works can deny it. It's a real danger. To walk 
thinking you're secure in the law and the things you do. I've heard from some, I just don't want to follow God right now. There's just going to be this time of sin in my life, and I'll repent when I'm ready. When I'm ready. What are we called to? 1 Peter 1. Shepherds, if there's something you need to study this week, it's, it's gonna, you're going to find it here. Peter, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of dispersion in Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Remember the law and how it was a guardian pointing to Christ and Christ was revealed. The righteousness of God was revealed. Your salvation is to be revealed and you're being guarded by your faith. In this you rejoice, though, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Therefore, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace of that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, 
you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's your calling. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing perishable things such as silver or gold. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Not in yourself. Not in your works. Not in any measure of faith you can conjure up. It's in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like the grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Father, we so desperately need your truth. Father, I pray that you would plant us in your word and at your feet. Father, you give us a faith that treats your word as truth. A faith that follows you in obedience to that word. Father, that our confidence would be in you and not in ourselves, in our ability. But Father, we would rest fully on the blood of Christ. And Father, I pray that we walk in a manner worthy of that calling. That Father... When we examine ourselves and we look at who we truly are in our heart, we'd find you and your spirit at work in us. Father, I pray that the mirror we look in is your word. And Father, when we come to the very end of ourselves we would lay everything at your feet and know that the righteousness of God is Christ and Christ alone Father we pray for ears to hear eyes to see, feet to walk according to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.